This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jonathan Mayo, along with Jim Callis. As always, we have a lot of ground to cover today. We spent a lot of time in college ranks, got NCAA postseason, which is always exciting. We'll, as always, give a little bit of a draft slant to how guys have performed in NCAA regional play and what that means for the overall draft landscape. We're going to take a look at all the young shortstops there are a lot of them high school shortstops in this draft class a huge strength in this class then we'll turn our sights to minor league baseball take a look at phenom jared kelnick getting sent down and perhaps the reasons for that other top prospects getting hot at the right time adley rushman and spencer torkelson we're looking at you welcome in a new member of the top 100 and as always we will finish up with a question from you the listeners jim uh, yeah, you know, I, I know you've been kind of driving across country, uh, but yet managing to keep an eye on, on the goings on in college baseball, always a fun time of year. You know, I find that I never, you know, get a chance to watch enough college baseball during the regular season with all that we have to do, but the postseason is just so much fun, uh, to see, you know, Cinderella stories come out, to uh, to see the favorites, you know, get upset or move on feel like this year has been no different in terms of how that's kind of all played out. Yeah, I mean, it always reminds me, Jonathan, it, like I'm just amazed at, at how different it is now from when I, you know, my, my first job at Baseball America, my, my main responsibility of, of many, because we had a small staff, was to be the primary guy in the college beat. And, you know, back then, I mean, I tell this story all the time, you'd find out what happened at regionals. I mean, there was no internet, there was no... ESPN plus you found out with like a fax would roll off the fax machine with another box score or, or maybe if you wanted to be really proactive you'd call the press box if you knew the number and, and find out what was going on and now um, you know all the games are on ESPN ESPN does a, a squeeze play uh, show where they take you from game to game and it's just amazing like the last I, I did help my son move to DC and, and drove a U-Haul Thursday and Friday from from Chicago to DC, and since I've been back, I've been watching a ton of, of regional games. And, and as we record this, you know that they had bad weather in a number of the venues in the Southeast. But, you know, as we record this, Virginia and Old Dominion are actually still playing. You know, the regionals are scheduled to wrap up on Monday, but they got a very early start this morning, and uh, this will be dated by the time anybody listens to this. But Old Dominion clinging to a surprising. One nothing lead. Surprising in that it's this far in the regional, and both teams have some effective pitching left. Um, but you know, after that one's over, we'll go on, and, and you know, super regionals will be next. Sixteen best or you know, eight best two out of three series between sixteen teams starting Friday. And I was looking at this, Jonathan. It was interesting to note if Old Dominion holds on to this win, 
then I think there will be only one of the top 13 seeds will have lost in the tournament. And that will be TCU, which was the number six seed, did not win the Fort Worth Regional. Dallas Baptist did. But if Old Dominion, which was the number one seed in Columbia, wins, then all of the other top 13 seeds will win. And then the 14, 15, and 16 seeds all get upset in their home regionals. Amazing. Amazing stuff. Um, the Super Regionals begin Friday, uh, June 11th. Uh, the matchups are, you know, in, in the hosts, or NC State is at Arkansas. Arkansas, the number one team in the country. Uh, East Carolina will be at Vanderbilt. We've obviously talked a lot about Vanderbilt with our top two right-handers. Stanford will be at Texas Tech. Ole Miss will be at Arizona. And South Florida will be at number two, Texas. Uh, the aforementioned Dallas Baptist will be playing either Virginia or Old Dominion. So those are your super regionals, depending on you know what happens with, with that one. And we'll continue to watch it as we've talked a lot about, Jim, that, uh, you know, it's fun watching these games anyway. I think we've mentioned in several podcasts, that, you know, Arkansas is this interesting team that's number one in the country without a top, top guy. But what's made this different is that these are being heavily scouted when they weren't in, in the past. And, uh, you know, so there, there's been a chance for guys to, uh, in sort of industry parlance, make some money uh, with their performances. Uh, other guys haven't stepped up. Some guys are now done playing, and there's this weird lag time where they do now. Just like we talked last week about the guys who didn't make it into the tournament. But why don't we, you know, I think we can segue right into our five guys who've performed into, you know, who performed well in NCAA regionals. What impact this has? I don't know. I mean, you know, I, I'm of two minds. You know, it's to me, I think that, you know, bright spotlight pressure that matters to teams that matters to scouts. It's also, you know, four games, maybe. Uh, you know, so how much weight do you put into whether, you know, whether a guy performs well or, or doesn't perform well? Yeah, not, not too much. I mean, I think, you know, I, I'm kind of the two minds also. I mean, you want to see guys you like perform well. Um, at the same time, I mean, you've been scouting these guys for close to four months and I don't know that one weekend or, you know, let's say you go all the way to Omaha, you know, maybe if you're, you're hot for three weeks and you demonstrate a new level of performance, uh, you know, maybe it matters a little bit. I, I don't think it moves the needle a lot. I, I think it has a potential to help you more the further on you, are, you further you are down the list. Like, you know, we, we talk about you know, Jack Leiter and Kumar Rocker ad nauseum on this podcast. I, I don't really think there's much that they're going to do even if they got shelled next week in the super regionals, that's going to change much. I mean, you, you pretty much have deep scouting reports. I, I think for the, you know, the guys who are, you know, I, I always kind of group Jonathan in my mind, you know, like you have top of the first round, bottom of the first round, second, third round, then like fourth to seventh. And maybe for those guys in the fourth to seventh round mix, like, you know, you can push yourself up to the fourth round. Uh, you know, like I'll give you one, for example, and, and he, I don't think he's going to make our top 250, but the SEC pitcher of the year, Kevin Cobbs, Arkansas, is this reliever who 
has a really good breaking ball and he throws his breaking ball a lot. You know, he's, he's kind of a, a one pitch guy, but he's dominant. He was SEC pitcher of the year. He was most valuable player at their regional. He was spectacular last night when they, they held off a very valiant Arkansas team. And, and right now, Jonathan, he's 12 and 0 with an 0.680 RA, 120 strikeouts and 15 walks and 80 innings and 11 saves. I mean, he's got crazy numbers and like, I don't think like, you know, Kevin Cobb's pitching, you know, seven innings of relief yesterday against Nebraska so they could barely hold off the Cornhuskers. Okay, that's not going to put him in the top two rounds. But, you know, if you thought Kevin Cobb's was like a fourth to seventh, fifth to eighth rounder, maybe he moves up a couple rounds if you if you scouted that game. But for the guys at the top, I, I, I don't think it makes a ton of difference. Or, or at the very least, it uh, cements them. Right. Like if you're like, well, is he a fourth round or fifth round? Or if he goes out and pitches well, oh, maybe I better go get him in the fourth because you start going deeper into the draft and a strong performance in the regionals may stick in people's minds when, you know, when a, an area guy starts pounding the table. I think, you know, uh, another sort of that realm and certainly doesn't have the track record uh, that your guy did, but, but Brandon Neck for, with, uh, with Virginia, um, you know, came into postseason play having thrown fewer than 17 innings on the entire year and then went out and threw five and two thirds in relief and struck out 16. It means the only for people, you know, don't want to do the math. It was only one batter. He didn't retire by strikeout. Well, there, there was a drop third strike just to be. Just to be, I, I, w- I was actually captivated by that game, and, and I think he tied the Virginia school record for strikeouts, Jonathan. But <laughs> the last, what would have been the last out of the game, he made a throwing error to first base and pulled the guy off the bag, and then struck out the next guy. So uh, it was, uh, it, w- it was kind of interesting to watch if he was going to get that record. But that was incredible. And, and he was a guy coming out of high school, wasn't he? Wasn't he a New York high school kid? Yeah, he was. A, he was an interesting New York high school guy. He, he then he, yeah, I think he got hurt. You know, he didn't pitch his freshman year. I even had to go check because, I mean, his name has obviously not come up. He, I mean, he's, he is left-handed, um, you know, which, uh, which certainly helps. But the, the question is, does that performance by itself land him on the map when he, you know, as a guy who barely pitched as a junior at Virginia, where you probably think he's going to go back to school, uh, you know, does, does that make a difference? Um, you know, I, I don't, I don't know the answer to that, uh, you know, cause there's, n- there's no track record really before that, but we've seen before guys who, you know, didn't pitch all that much. Um, and then, you know, have, has a huge, you know, outing or maybe more than one outing, uh, in, in pro ball, I'm sorry, in, in postseason play and that, and that lands them on the map. Um, you know, so I guess it remains to be seen for guys like that. Um, but you know, I'm not sure. I think the guy that comes to mind is Scott Moss. Um, you know, who hasn't, you know, mounted to, to much, but he was a guy who couldn't work his way. Do you remember into that ridiculous Gators staff didn't pitch a whole lot, had some injuries and then was ridiculous in postseason play. And that got him drafted. You know, I'm not saying that this is exactly the same situation. 
it'll be interesting to see, especially if Virginia somehow manages to advance, if he gets more opportunities and continues to put himself more on the map, even if it's sort of as a stepping stone for, you know, a, a strong senior year or whatever you want to call it. Um, so, I, you know, he, he's another interesting one to me that I'm like, I don't know what to do with that because uh, his name had not obviously come up as a, you know, infrequently used left-handed reliever uh, for, for Virginia. The the guys who the five, who are the our official quote unquote five guys uh, are guys who are a, a little bit more known. Uh, f- four of the five are on our current top two hundred. The fifth is going to make a jump. Uh, you know when we expand to two fifty, and I think you know I'm fairly certain he will be uh, firmly on that top two hundred. So, Jim, we have them listed alphabetically. Uh, the first two are yours. Uh, so why don't you jump in and then uh, I'll hop in with mine you know, and then we'll alternate for those last three. Yeah, that sounds good. Um, Paris slugging first baseman, uh, Nico Cavadas of Notre Dame. He might have had the best weekend. I, 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 will not, I will not claim Jonathan to have scanned every player's stat line. Come but on, I find it slacker. hard to believe that anybody can top Nico Cavadas three games at the South Bend Regional, six for ten. Five homers, 13 RBI, six walks, a 2850 ops, which I believe is very good. Um, <laughs> he now has a school record, 21 homers this season, tied for the Cape Cod League in homers in 2019, tied for the ACC lead in homers in 2020. He's, he's chasing the national lead. Um, you know, first game of the season, homers in his first two bats off projected first rounder Ryan Cusick of Wake Forest, including a, a shot off a 99-mile-an-hour fastball. And, you know, Cavadas is, is, is kind of a one-tool guy. You know, I'll let you guess what that tool might be, Jonathan. Um, but uh, uh, <laughs> it, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's 70 raw power on the 20 to 80 scouting scale. And, you know, I think he's going to go in the first three or four rounds of the draft. He's a little bit older, but he's had a really good year. And then uh, another slugging first baseman. At Vanderbilt, you know, it, it, you know, the MVP of the National Regional was not Jack Leiter. It was not Kumar Rock, even though they both pitched well. It, it was Dominic Keegan, who, who went five for 11. He had three homers, seven RBIs, four walks. And he's been a little bit of a tough one for scouts to figure out. I, I, I'll admit, for, for me to figure out too, Jonathan. He, got, he was first three weeks of the season as hot as any hitter in the country. Hit 500, four homers, just tearing it up. He had a good summer ball stretch last year in the Futures Collegiate League, for whatever that's worth. And then he got COVID. He missed a couple weeks. He was, you know, he hit home runs, but he also had some swing and miss in SEC play. All that said, I mean, he's hitting 374. He's got an ops of, of almost 1150. He's got 14 homers. Uh, he may be able to play more challenging position than first base. He, he caught a game this year. He's caught in the past. He could probably handle an outfield corner. You know, I, you know, he obviously gets seen a lot because that team is loaded. And everybody's seeing every start by Lighter and Rocker, and and they have other guys on that team too. I still don't have a great feel, Jonathan, for where he goes in the draft. I, I think he helped himself this weekend. Um, you know, does he go in the in the third or fourth round? Does he go in the fifth or sixth round? It, it's somewhere in there. But you know, if he continues to play well, uh, you know, in, in super regional competition against ECU, he's going to face a, a top two round arm in Gavin Williams. That's only going to help him more. So I, I think he's a case where. You know, there's not a lot of history on him because he didn't play a lot his first two years at Vanderbilt between you know being a freshman and then COVID, the COVID season. 
that that he's a guy who can help himself because the more he plays, the more he gets seen. And if he performs well against Gavin Williams, that might move him up in some people's eyes. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that, you know, not only performing well sort of, uh, you know, under the bright lights of postseason play. Uh, and it's listen, they, you, you play at Vanderbilt, you, you face a lot of good pitching. And, you know, but the more that a guy like that performs against top guys, the more you believe it's going to work at the next level. Because sometimes those guys, you, you see, you know, guys in college put up huge numbers, but it just doesn't translate. Uh, so there be, might be more confidence that it would translate, you know, once he gets to the next level. The the first guy on uh, on our five guys this week that I have is Matt McLean, who we've talked about quite a bit. He's number 12 on our top 200. And he's first rounder, shortstop at UCLA. And this isn't a case of him necessarily like jumping on the radar or making a huge leap up. But, you know, two things happened with McLean. He started off slowly and he got hurt right when he was in the middle of being kind of red hot. You know, this was a guy who was kind of up near the top in terms of, of college bats, you know, first rounder out of high school, the Diamondbacks couldn't sign him. He went on to UCLA and, you know, he kind of came into this year where people were expecting him to be, you know, close to the top of the draft, uh, not necessarily a guy who'd be in consideration for the number one pick. He's not the biggest guy in the world, but, you know, he, I think he, he's shown that he can hit and, you know, what he did this weekend, uh, you know, UCLA is done now, uh, but, uh, he went seven for 16 in his games with four doubles and seven runs batted in. Uh, and that's kind of, you know, in line with what he's done um, this year. And for the year, you know, for a guy who started off very, very slowly, he's hit 333, he's hit nine homers, you know, he slugged 579. It's a 434 on base. You know, he was striking out a little bit too much to start the year, but he finished off with the same amount of walks and strikeouts. He was nine for 10 from stolen bases, you know, on the on the stolen base front. Uh, he continued to show that, you know, he actually has a chance to stay at shortstop, uh, which was the, the question earlier on. I think a lot of people thought he'd move to second. And even if he does, I think he's got that that profile to be a really good offensive minded second baseman and he'll be very good defensively. You know, it's and it's. it's it's interesting to me, Jim, because, you know, people are still like, well, I don't, you know, I don't know. Where does he fit? Is he, you know, is he, does he go in the top 10? Is he in that sort of next tier of college bats? Really? The only college hitter who really separated himself was Henry Davis of Louisville. Then there's Sal Fralick, there's Matt McClain, there's, you know, Colton Kowser. If someone had said that, you know, Matt McClain would finish the year with a, with a, an ops of over a thousand, uh, I think, we'd be talking about him in, in that sort of top sphere of, of, uh, of college bats. But I think because he started slowly and then he missed time, you know, there's a little bit of a disconnect in terms of, you know, the decision makers seeing him enough. That's why I think, you know, what he was able to do in regional play uh, might help him. And maybe it's the difference between, going in that six to 10 range and going in that 11 to 15 range. Yeah. It, you know, I'm, I'm working on another mock right now. I'm in that stage where I've talked to a bunch of people. I'm still talking to people. So I haven't really plotted it out, but you know, it's kind of more in my head <laughs> than anything, but you know, I, I feel like it's, it's, it, it, it's like you said it, you know, Henry Davis can be the first college bat taken. And then I think you've got your tier of, of Matt McLean and Sal Frelick and Colton Kowser. 
And then, and then I think there's not much consensus as to what happens after that. So I think there's going to be demand for those guys. And I think because McLean is a shortstop at worst, a second baseman compared to a center fielder, I think, you know, even after this weird year he's had with the slow start and getting hurt, I think he's going to be, I think the, he'd be my, my favorite to be the second college position player taken. You know, now that said, you know, if somebody cuts a deal, maybe that, that, that would change. But I, I think if we we're just doing it straight up on talent, I think Matt McLean would be the second college position player taken. Yeah, I think you might be right. You might be right. I know you've got a college lefty uh, next up on your list. Yeah, Doug Nikhazy uh, of Mississippi, um, you know, has been a starter since since day one with the Rebels. You know, this year, Gunnar Hoagland was supposed to be their ace, but but he's had Tommy John surgery. So now Nikhazy's their top starter. And he had a busy weekend, Jonathan. Uh, and, you know, the Mississippi saved him for their second game, which is the key game of the regional. If you win your first, four team regionals, there's two undefeated teams on the second day. Whoever wins that game needs one more win to go to the Super Regionals. Whoever loses has to win an elimination game and then beat the undefeated team twice. So it's a huge game. And Nikhazy came out, seven innings, four hits, three runs, two earned, one walk. School record 16 strikeouts against Florida State to, to win that game and put Mississippi in the driver's seat. Well, Southern Miss came out of the loser's bracket. They beat Florida State, then they beat Mississippi to force an extra game yesterday. And to Casey, you know, we're not going to get into a long debate about guys pitching on short rest in college baseball. Um, but, you know, he came back on one day's rest, Jonathan, after throwing 119 pitches. Bases load situation. Old Miss had had a 9 nothing lead that was slipping away. He came in with the bases load in the sixth inning, got a strikeout to get out of it, gave up a two-run homer in the seventh, but actually wound up winning that game as well. And he's a guy who – you know, he's been getting hotter and hotter as the season has progressed. Um, SEC games are obviously heavily scouted. You know, guys knew who he was. It's not like he's coming out of nowhere. He had missed a couple weeks real early in the season with a pec strain. But he's just been dominating time and time again. And I almost wonder, because we keep talking about the fact Every time one of us does a mock, there aren't 29 consensus first-round talents in this draft. I have a hard time coming up with more than 19 or 20. I think he could – I'm not saying he will, but if he snuck into the first round, it wouldn't surprise me. He's a, he's a college lefty with four pitches, good breaking stuff, and a track record performing for three years in the SEC. And, and this is just another another bullet point on his resume. Um, you know, He'll get another chance to to pitch again. I think they will face Arizona if I read the brackets correctly. Um, and, you know, that's a you know number five national seed. That's another big test for him. And, and you know, we'll see what he does with that. Yeah. Um, and those college lefties who know how to pitch, you know, they often sort of rise up very slowly. And they, you're, it's not like you're saying he's going to make a huge jump into the middle of the first round. But if, as you said, like if, if all things are being equal, go with the guy who's, who's, uh, who's performed. Yes, Ole Miss is at Arizona. Uh, you did read that correctly. Um, speaking of college lefties, because I'm not, we're not going to keep giving live updates on this uh, Old Dominion Virginia game. But Andrew Abbott, who has oh shown this year that he that he can start after relieving for most of his Virginia career, started the other day. I get it didn't pitch great. Was really really good the first few innings and got knocked around a little bit. Uh, came back uh, with a with. A runner on second, I think, or there was a runner on third. He gave up a single that allowed Old Dominion's run to score, but he also struck out two. 
uh, over an inning of relief. Um, and he is like an ultra ultra competitor. So I wanted to give him a, a little bit of a shout out. And he, me and Jonathan, I, 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 I will, I will break what you just said. And, uh, like he, he, he's in line to pot that like they're rallying well, he get the win. up two to one with two yep. runs in the seventh. So we might get more Andrew Abbott going forward. Well, no, I think they actually already took him out. He, they, they, well, he's uh, out, but I'm saying, but they, but Virginia's rallied. So I'm saying we might get to see him next week. That, that, right. Right. Which would be, which would be exciting. He uh, kind of, he's a personal favorite just because the area scouts love him because he's the kind of guy who will want the ball always. Uh, so even if he ends up in the bullpen, that will work well. Uh, the last guy on the list is a little bit different because he's not currently ranked, as I said, and uh, m- that may have been an oversight, although in our previous iterations of our list, every time I went kind of went back and some of it was early and uh, but Aaron Zavala, the University of Oregon, was a guy who's well, he's a college performer. He's maybe a little bit of a tweener, the power. I don't know, uh, but now suddenly, you know, the college performers move up. Uh, lack of college bats certainly don't uh, don't hurt. And then over over the course of regional play, he went six for eighteen, um, which actually you know is much lower than what he did this year. And I'll get to his season numbers in a bit. But he had two homers and two doubles and drove in four. And this is a guy who um, I think he was the Pac-12 Player of the Year, hit three ninety two. Uh, he's got an 11.53 ops, ended up with nine homers. He stole 11 bases, uh, even though like he's not a plus runner. The defense has been okay. Like He probably ends up in left field, but he can really hit um, 50 walks and 31 strikeouts. Uh, and that's kind of what he's done. And he kind of went from like, oh, he's a college performer. Oh, yeah. But then he started doing it more and more in conference play. He continued to hit. I think he started to drive the ball a little bit more, started to get to some of that power. And, you know, the the guys in Pacific Northwest who I talked to are now like, well, he's the best hitter in our region. Um, And it's not just because he's put up good numbers like, you know, there's there's some belief that, you know, that he can really hit, Um, you know, he's somewhat limited, I think, uh, when all is said and done. But uh, I I think the fact that he's put up those numbers and then continue to drive the ball uh, during regional play it sort of helped him sort of jump up the map. And he's one of those guys that I think that uh, over the course of the year and then with these last few games, Jim, he he went from being a college performer, like where does he go sixth round? You know, then now maybe he's uh, fourth round, you know, if you really want to reach and, and, you know, he fits well in your model uh, and you like the, the, the data, you know, you're one of these data driven teams. Maybe he sneaks into the third round. We'll have to see. And I'll say, Jonathan, just with the shortage of performing consensus college bats this year, I almost feel like you could, if you're going to say you could go in the third round, you might as well just say you could go in the second because mm-hmm. I have guys who on paper to me look like fourth and fifth round picks and guys are telling me they're going to go in the second and third round. I think, you know, especially a guy like Zavala who, who's performed really well, I mean, I haven't heard him in the first round. I'm not going to say first round, but honestly, I mean, he's had a great year. We're going to see, I, I will say right now on draft day, there will be a surprising college bat in the first round that we probably aren't even considering right now. Um, because, you know, like we were talking about earlier, there, there's four consensus first round college bats. 
I don't know who the fifth is. Like, like there's nobody who's a lock to go in the first round. Adrian Del Castillo is no lock right now. Ethan Wilson isn't a lock. Um, I don't even know who I'm forgetting. You know, there just is no other lock. But, I mean, what would you think out of 29 first-round picks? It's probably be at least eight or nine college bats, right? Typically, I, I think we're going to see some really interesting guys go in the end of the first round. No, I think uh, I think you're absolutely right. Obviously, we have a lot more uh, draft stuff to to talk about as we go on here uh, with four weeks plus until draft day. But for right now, we're gonna we're gonna take a break. We do have some more draft uh, talk coming up on the other side, but we're gonna look at the high school and especially the shortstops right here on the MLB Pipeline podcast. Talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. Usually, we just brush it off or blame ourselves, saying things like, I lost my mojo. Or we avoid it altogether with excuses like, I had a long day at work, or sorry, honey, I'm just not feeling it. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about. With a real healthcare professional who can prescribe real medication, it's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. The healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com MLB and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a healthcare professional and take care of it. Go to GetRoman.com slash MLB today. If approved, you'll get $15 off your first order of ED treatment. Roman is the official partner of Major League Baseball. That's GetRoman.com slash MLB. GetRoman.com slash MLB. And we're back, MLB Pipeline Podcast, Jonathan Mayo, along with Jim Callis. We're going to turn our attentions to probably you know one of the biggest strengths of the draft, especially up top, and that is a high school shortstop. And uh, we like a good uh, executive poll here at MLB Pipeline. Uh, whenever possible, I like to do them. I think it's always fun to sort of try to take the temperature of where people stand. And in this case... Uh, it, it started out looking at the, the guys who are now one, number one and number two on our draft rankings, and that's Jordan Lawler in Texas and Marcelo Meyer in California. And, you know, asking scouts, executives, general managers, you name it, who they prefer uh, overall. And I wrote this, wrote this story. It was interesting survey findings because even though, you know, um, uh, even though Marcelo was the one who won the polling was 13 to seven, it was not like a slam dunk. Oh, by far, I like this guy. Um, I, you know, I, I, I think you may have gotten more definitive opinions, Jim, when you did rocker versus lighter, but you also had some of that, that mixed bag. Um, you know, but it was interesting. More people favored, uh, Marcelo Meyer over Jordan Lawler because they felt there was more certainty in the bat. It was a little, I mean, as much as a high school shortstop, there was, it was a little bit safer. You're sure he's going to hit. But at the same time, even people who liked him said that Lawler probably has more upside. He's more athletic. 
Um, it was really interesting mix in terms of the defensive ability where some people are like, well, Lawler has, you know, has a better chance to stick at shortstop long term. But there were some people who liked, you know, like Marcelo's defense even better. So like it, it you know, it was a really interesting survey uh, in terms of the sort of split decision. Um, and we didn't even touch like in the survey, the other two shortstops, um, Brady House and Khalil Watson, and both of those guys are in your your parts of the country. And I want to kind of put a circle around Watson, Jim, and weigh in on the on the the one the 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 one to one polling of the top two guys. But as you're working on this mock, it sounds like Khalil Watson's kind of working his way into the into the conversation. Where uh, if I had started that polling now, I might include him in the in the in the question. Yeah. I'd be curious to see like if you, if you threw Brady house in there and you had everybody rank them one to four, how they would shake out. Because as you noted in your story, which, which is, I, I love reading those things. They're all going to go in the top 10 picks. It looks like they all could go in the top six. Now I think you could have teams cut deals and, and who knows what will happen, but on talent, they could all go in the top six. And, and I think one of the things that's really interesting about this is the way because of COVID and how it's affected seasons, everybody's on like a different calendar for the most part. When I did the lighter versus rocker story earlier in the year, I don't even know if Marcelo Meyer had started playing like, <laughs> like, cause we did it early. And if he had, it was for like a week. So at the beginning of the year, Lawler had that weird start where he was striking out like at a 20% clip against so-so high school competition. And people weren't sure what to make of that. And then Meyer started playing in April and was really good, and everybody got excited about him. You know, Brady House has been on more of a normal schedule, and he, you know, after a bad summer, or I shouldn't say bad summer, but after struggling at times during the summer trying to do too much, he was back to being the Brady House everybody knew and loved. But Clue Watson's season started later than everybody else's, and so as a result, he had less buzz early because you couldn't see him play. And now, you know, Lawler's been done for a month. House has been done for a month. You know, Meyer's still playing. He could have a couple weeks to go depending on the playoffs. But now it's like, you know, it's appointment viewing with Khalil Watson. He's playing this week. We're recording this on a Tuesday. Played last night. He's playing tonight. And he's playing Wednesday. And I know the Pirates are going to have a bunch of guys in there. The Rangers are going to have a bunch of guys in there. Um, he had a you know, three-home run game last week. He's looked really, really good. Um, and so – you know, he gets a little bit of a, no, he's not, it, it doesn't really necessarily affect where you wind up overall on the board, but he's the guy who people have seen less of, and he's performing great right now. And I think that's combined to, to have a lot of, you know, Cleo Watts and helium. If you can truly have helium for a guy who was ranked number eight, when we <laughs> last updated our list a week ago, but I, I think he's in the mix to go one, uh, you know, again, it's weird, Jonathan, doing mocks in the first week of June and knowing the back of your mind, oh, I'm going to be doing two or three more of these before the draft. Now the draft's in July. But I, I think as of right now, I might project Khalil Watson going number two to the Rangers. And, um, I, and, and I thought about doing that last week. So, you know, that's not, you know. Yeah, I mean, and it's it's not, you know me, like I, I, I won't do stuff just for the sake of doing it. Like I'm doing basically what I think will happen if the draft were today. And I, I mean, I will say, I think everything's still very fluid at the top. I feel like, 
I feel like the Pirates are looking, you know, we keep hearing hitters over pitchers. I think they're on on the high school shortstops, maybe not Brady House at one. And I think they're on Henry Davis too. And if they think those guys are close, it ultimately might come down to which of those four guys will take the the bigger discount at one. Right. Um, right. But, I think it, all things being equal, I think that that could very well be the case, and which is why they're sort of looking at Khalil Watson. We're like, well, we'll, well see but, what but happens. He, and here's here's the funny thing about that, Jonathan. If the Rangers are on, and the Rangers are on him heavy, if Henry Davis doesn't go one, I don't know if that he goes two or three. He go he might go four. And if Marcella Meyer, Meyer doesn't go one, he might go three. So it might actually be where Khalil Watson is in position where he has to take less of a discount than those two guys. So it's it's all very confusing and fluid, and we have five weeks. But, yeah, I mean, I think it's a very real possibility that Khalil Watson could go one or two, and he, he could go very good. Now, that said, if I were ranking the shortstops – I would probably give a slight edge to Meyer. <sighs> Torn between Lawler and Watson, and I'd probably put Brady House fourth, yep. but they're all close. How, how no. would you line up the four? Uh, I, I think, I think that's how I would do it. I, Meyer would be one. Um, I think I might go Watson two, Lawler three, and, and keep in mind that like. Well, and then house four, I'm doing it sort of based on uh, just a vibe that I'm getting when talking to people at at the top. One of the interesting things with this, doing this poll and, 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 you know, is that teams that are picking in the second half of the first round, haven't really seen like either of the top two guys or either of any of those four, maybe since the summer. Um, you know, so they're kind of going based on what they're hearing. So a lot of it is just a, a feel kind of thing, but I think, I think that's how I would do it. And, you know, it, it's one of those things that you know, the draft is sort of this weird animal. I've always felt, you know, people always joke about making a strong first impression. Uh, but you know, it's not that you forget what Jordan Lawler did or didn't do. You have all those reports to go back on and you, you hash it out in draft meetings, but the fact that Kalia Watson is still playing a good amount of baseball and playing really, really well. And listen, if he was just okay, then we wouldn't be talking about this. People are human, right? <laughs> that last impression right before, you know, or closer to when the draft is, is, is it can't not help him, right? I mean, it's just, a, I think it's a human thing. Um, and the fact that there's not a whole lot else going on, you know, you're able to send in as many people as you want to watch every Khalil Watson at bat, which I think also means you need to kind of make sure not pump the brakes, but just because a team sends four or five guys and doesn't mean, well, that's the guy they're taking, you know, sort of the same way, Jim, you and I always joke with each other when people would go nuts about a general manager going to see a player. And then you point out that it's five minutes from their spring training home. um, And it's during spring training. Like you can't, you can't read the tea leaves too much. Um, and there's not a whole lot going on. You know, uh, everybody has seen Khalil Watson and everyone is seeing high school catcher Joe Mack in upstate New York because Mack just started playing like it feels like a couple weeks ago. Uh, so, you, you know, you have to kind of try to weigh all those things and try to find a, a balanced approach to, to deciding where these guys belong. No, definitely. You, you can't read too much into who's where. And, and, and like you said, you're exactly correct. I mean, some of who's watching who 
is dependent on who's actually still playing right now. Um, so, you know, it'll be, it'll be fun to see how this plays out. You know, there's, you know, for some of these college guys, you know, they're going to have a couple more weeks playing. Some of these high school guys have a couple more weeks. And, and then I, I feel like we'll have probably about, you know, you know, a couple week period where everybody should be done, you know, before the draft and, and, you know, and then we'll, we'll, we'll really be screwing to figure out who's going where. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully there will be more clarity. All right. We're going to, uh, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to turn our attention to minor league prospects. Remember them? That's coming up next on the MLB Pipeline Podcast. This past year has shown us that without your health, you have nothing. If you're not well, you can't work, look after yourself, or take care of your family. You can't enjoy the life you've worked so hard to build. That's why you need to prioritize taking care of your long-term health today, before it goes from good to bad to worse. So invest in your long-term health with Forward. Forward is intelligent medicine with a personal touch. Their doctors are dedicated to catching top killers like cancer and heart disease early before it's too late. And catching them early could save you tens of thousands of dollars in the long run. Everyone's health history is different, which is why Forward doctors personalize a health plan with you based on your genetics, lifestyle, and biometrics to achieve long-term results and ensure nothing gets missed. It's time to invest in a doctor that's invested in you. Go to GoForward.com today to protect your future health. That's GoForward.com. GoForward.com. We're back. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Jonathan Mayo along with Jim Callis. We're going to turn our attention to the top prospects in pro ball. The folks that were once draftees or international signees. And I wanted to start with Jared Kelnick, uh, who, you know, is one of our top prospects. And much ballyhooed and highly anticipated debut started off slow, had that one moment, you know, the two Homer game. I think we kept thinking, all right, he's going to figure it out. Really struggled. Uh, got sent back down by the Mariners, uh, after 92 plate appearances, uh, where he had an O 96 average. He went eight for 83 with those two homers. I think the biggest you know thing that sort of stood out was you know eight walks and twenty six strikeouts and ninety two plate appearances. Not typical Jared Kelnick numbers. Now, listen, this is not the first time we've seen a very good prospect get called up and struggle. I think that this one was kind of surprising because, and maybe it was just because we've been sort of waiting for so long. But you know, between what we kept seeing and hearing about what he was doing at the alt site last year and what he was doing at the beginning, you know, in spring training this year and at the beginning of the minor league season, it's not that we thought he'd come up and hit, you know, 400 and hit a ton of homers, but this, I have to say was a little bit surprising that he struggled as much as he did, you know, with the caveat, it's still a relatively small sample size, but I, I, I didn't think that he was going to be the kind of guy that would have to go back down to, to kind of right the ship. 
Yeah, no, me, me either. Um, you know, I mean, and look, I mean, the, the most famous one I can remember recently was Alex Bregman came up and went two for 38 um, to start his big league career. Now, granted, he was not striking out as much. And, you know, Kelnick, as he heads to the minors, is in the midst of a an 0 for 39 slump with 18 strikeouts. And, you know, you expect the good pure hitter, you know, these guys who are elite hitters to come up and hit right away. Um, you know, even Mike Trout didn't hit right away. I mean, he, yep. he really struggled for a while. Um, you know, his first taste of the big leagues when he came up. Um, you know, I, I guess the thing that surprised me the most is strikeouts, Jonathan, like you alluded to. Um, I, you, know, they, you know, I wasn't expecting him to come up and be the best hitter in the American League from day one, um, but I thought he'd do more. Um, another thing that's really kind of surprising, I, I saw, I, I forget where I read this, but his batting average on balls in play is in the 100s, which is just like you couldn't do that if you tried. Like, the, 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 so there's some, I think there's some bad luck involved, but I, I think my, my guess is it was just getting to the point with, look, I mean, he, he's in such a bad slump. Uh, you know, they're not really going to make the postseason this year. Let's just get him right and send him back to the minor leagues and, and, and so he can get going again. And, and you know, maybe I, I would think, you know, again, I mean, if you're not contending this year, your plan is to do whatever's going to have your team be best prepared for the future. And that would be when Kelnick's ready to come back up to get in major league at bat. So he could continue to get acclimated to the big leagues. Yeah. And one thing that needs to be noted, he's still only 21. Um, and you know, so I think, I think that, you know, he had played one full season of pro ball before last year's lost year, you know, so you know, very precocious player, the advanced approach. And I think, you know, I think what happened, you've talked to him and we've talked about his supreme confidence, uh, you know, he, and the one thing that he had said he'd not dealt with was adversity. And he, now he has some, and now we'll have to see, you know, with how that confidence comes back. I, I have, I have every belief that it will. Um, and I also know that he would do anything to win it, to help uh, win a game. So he was probably gripping the bat a little tighter, you know, trying a little, to, to, to do a little too much to, to get out of it. So this allows him to go down, uh, you know, reset a little bit. Uh, Mariners fans, if you want to be upset at Jim, that's fine. They're only five games out of first place right now. Um, Their playoff so, odds are under 5%, Jonathan. What's that? Their playoff odds are under 5%. So well, I, we're only 60 games. In. You know, we're, not, we're half. That's we're not factoring even half in everything, away. though. That's, okay, fair enough, fair enough. I think I – think, their plan was not, you know, they did not build their their big league roster this year with the thinking that now would be the time. But we've also seen teams that kind of end up ahead of the curve. So in, in any event, like I think he's going to write himself. He's going to hit his way back up. And then whether they're competing or not, he can contribute to the big league lineup down the stretch. I think I think we're going to see him again this year. Yeah, I agree with that. And it, like, it does kind of remind me of, of Alex Bregman. You know, despite, you know, Kelnick struck out more than Bregman did, where I just think the way those guys are wired, I remember telling people, like, in a way, like, you know, I'm not worried about Bregman handling this. In a way, I think Bregman's just going to be so ticked off, it's just going to make him better. And I, I kind of feel the same way about Jared Kelnick. I, I don't feel that going 8 for 83 and, and being in an 0 for 39 slump is going to break him. And I think it's just going to make him that much more determined. Um, so I, I think he'll be fine. Couple other guys that we wanted to talk about, uh, you know, at or close to the the top of our top 100, Adley Rushman. It's so funny because you know we we always get questions about uh, 
about players and, you know, uh, the second they get off to a, a slow start in any way, shape or form, people start, you know, sounding the alarms and, and Adley Rushman, you know, did get off to a little bit of uh, of a slow start this year. He's a bust, uh, Jonathan. As, he's a bust. He's a bust because he, you know, as I think after May twenty second, he was hitting two eleven. He got off to uh, like a six for thirty start, and that was even more extensive. Yeah, I mean, what? How could they pick that guy number one? Right, right. And he, you know, he he was getting on base, but you know, he he wasn't you know, he wasn't driving the ball. Uh, his splits were like way off. He's now hitting 293 and he's got a, an OPS over a thousand. He's got eight homers and 99 at bats. Um, you know he's catching uh, for a very talented Double A uh, buoy team in the Orioles system. Uh, he's kind of right where he's supposed to be, don't you think? Yeah, I mean it, the small sample size. Police need to note that in the last 12 games, <laughs> he's hitting 405 with five homers and six strikeouts. No, I mean he's. Uh, you know, again, I mean, I, I think it's just the nature of the prospect game these days, Jonathan, where there's so much more attention on these guys and social media and video and, and everybody wants the number one overall pick to come out and dominate from day one. And, you know, if you'll recall his first pro summer, you know, he was OK. He didn't come out and put up great numbers. Yeah. And, you know, then people, you know, I even got a little bit of that then from some pro scouts were like, ah, you know, it's like, well, look, the guy's probably pretty exhausted after all the demands on him as the best guy in the country. And he was at Oregon State and defending national champion. But no, I mean, again, we're talking about switch hitting catcher with gold glove potential. And, you know, you remember, you know, there was a lot, you know, to chatter within the industry. Oh, like his shoulder. How healthy is it when he's at Oregon right. State? I and I was asked, I remember one of our favorite scouts, I was asking him, like, how much does the shoulder bother you? Um, and this was a team picking high in the draft. He's like, it doesn't bother me at all. If he couldn't, if he couldn't throw and he couldn't catch, then he's Mark Teixeira. And so, I mean, I, I keep using that comp. I mean, it, it's Mark Teixeira you know, bat with gold glove potential behind the plate. Um, I will, I will take that every day of the week. Yep. And as you've noted, I mean, Wander Franco has been our number one prospect for a while, but especially if you want to talk about position scarcity, you could definitely make a case that Adley Rutschman is the best prospect in baseball. And, you know, as great as that 2019 draft class, the top of it looks like it's going to be if we redid the draft today, you know, with, you know, no apologies to Bobby Witt Jr. or C.J. Abrams or, or uh, you know, any of those, other, Riley Green or J.J. Bleday or any of those guys who went to the top of the draft, Adley Rutschman would still, to me, be the, 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 the clear, obvious number one overall pick. Yeah, I, I think you are correct. Um, and then... Fast forward to 2020, and number one overall pick is Spencer Torkelson. We've talked uh, about his sort of, uh, I, I, you know, I, I don't want to say generational because Adley Rushman, uh, but like one of the the best bats we've ever seen uh, coming out of a draft. And again, he also started very very slowly. Uh, right around that same time, May 20th, he was hitting a buck 80 and slugging 220. Right, that's not what you expect. Now, his overall numbers are still, you know, don't seem all that exciting. 258, he's got an 869 ops, but, you know, he started to get his swing under him. He started a homer, had a two-homer game. He's hit four homers uh, since then, hitting 333 in June so far. Like, this is a guy who hadn't played, right? Like, he got drafted and then didn't play, and, and, you know, and hadn't really played 
much at all because his college season had been cut short. I was remembering that I happened to see him play a college game because I was in spring training before things got shut down and got to see ASU play. So these are his first professional at-bats ever. And I think that, you know, your point, Jim, about the spotlight that, you know, it used to be that even the top guys would go down and and work in complete anonymity uh, and not have every single at-bat, you know, torn apart or analyzed or or even watched. Uh, So, like, everyone needs to just take a breath. Yeah, and I think this year in general, uh, you know, last year was an unusual year. You know, even if you went to the alternate site or instructional league, that's not the same as a full minor league season. You know, in Torkelson's case, he's making his pro debut at high A. Now, and look, he's one of the most advanced hitters we've seen, so he should be able to handle it, and he is. But he gets off to a slow start, and you have people wondering, like, oh, my gosh, you know, how's this guy, this this tremendous hitter, when he's hitting 220 after three weeks? And I just think you're going to have to give guys time and cut them slack more so this year than in any other year. I, I, I think we're going to see, Jonathan, I've said this before, in the minor leagues like we've seen in college baseball, that losing a full season, you know, when you, I mean, they, they did play some college games last year, but there was no summer ball, really. I mean, it was sporadic summer league action, but it wasn't, you know, Cape Cod League or any of those types of things. I just don't think there's any way to quantify how that affects players and it affects guys in different ways. And, and and I think we could also see in pro ball, what we're seeing in college ball in a lot of cases where, because guys didn't pitch a lot last year, some of those pitchers are starting to hit the wall deeper into the season. And we're probably going to see that in the minor leagues. And again, I, I think you're going to have to cut players slack you know, like we'll do our, our re-rank, Jonathan, our mid-season re-rank. And I'm not going to just be beholden to our preseason rankings but I'm not going to be as quick. You know, I, I, I think I, I will factor that in somewhat. If you have a guy who's struggling, I, I'm not necessarily going to hold that against him as much as I would have in a normal year because everybody's career got disrupted last year. Right. And it's going to impact different guys in different ways. I think I think you're you're absolutely right. Um, and it does make it, you know, it makes it challenging to, to figure out some of the rankings, uh, even coming into this year when we haven't seen guys, we haven't seen what they've been able to do. Um, and I'm going to use that as a kind of segue to, uh, you know, this week's new addition to the top 100. Uh, and that's Rockies lefty Ryan Rollison. gives the Rockies a second guy in the top 100 now. And he's been a tough guy. Like, I feel like he has been on the precipice of joining our top 100 um, since, you know, since he was drafted. Uh, you know, it's number 22 pick back in 2018, kind of the advanced college lefty. And it's easy to say, well, that was, you know, three years ago, he's kind of moved slowly and his overall numbers are like, not great. Uh, Y'all, you have to take into account that the Rockies have played in some, you know, they play in some pretty hard places to pitch in. And, uh, you know, this is a guy who has kind of already known, always known how to, how to, how to pitch. And, you know, he started this year in double A. Uh, they moved him up pretty quickly after three starts. Um, he got lit up in his triple A debut in Albuquerque, which, again, good place to hit. Bounced back with a stronger start there. So, you know, overall, he's, you know, he's got a 367 ERA in six starts, uh, 35 strikeouts. You know, but this is a guy who is more known for his ability to mix his pitches and, 
Uh, he's got a plus curveball. He does have a four pitch mix and above average changeup. Um, he's going to need to use all four of them. Uh, see how it works uh, in, in you know in Coors Field once he, once he gets there. But he, he's always been kind of a tough guy for me, Jim, because he's been good but not great. Given the ballpark factors, you know, it's sort of hard to know where he belonged on a list like this. Yeah, you know, I mean, really outside of his three starts at Double A Hartford this year, <laughs> he's pitched in extreme hitting environments everywhere else he's been. I mean, to have a a four eight seven ERA at Lancaster is actually really good. It just it just looks odd um, <laughs> to, to, to say that, but you know, Lancaster, the ball just flies out there. I mean, what I like about him is, I mean, you broke down his stuff, but like it plays. You know, he he misses bats, he throws strikes. You know, he, he's left-handed. All, all that stuff's going to work. You know, I, I remember him as a, you know, coming out of high school in, in, in Tennessee, uh, you know, as a prospect way back when. But, um, you know, I, I think he's maybe a little bit more floor than ceiling. Mm-hmm. But but he's not he's not a back-of-the-rotation type of guy. Like, I, I think he's, he's probably a, you know, he fits in the middle of a rotation. You know, maybe he's a number two. But, I mean, you, you go back to college, and, I mean, he's always – He's always thrown strikes. He's always missed bats. He's always performed. I mean, he's, you know, I, I, you know, I'll be curious. I mean, I I would assume we'll see him in Colorado sooner rather than later. And we'll see if he could tame Coors Field. Yeah. I know. And last one of this, one of the things that sort of stood out, you know, because you you look at those numbers that you pointed out in Lancaster, which, you know, uh, it's a crazy. I remember having a conversation in a press box long ago, like that if you were given you know, you're, any decent hitter, like what you could hit in Lancaster, just it's a anyone could hit there. One of the things the Rockies really liked is that he did not change who he was. So many times when you have a guy pitching or hitting in a place like that, they completely alter what they need to do because they feel like, well, you, you want to help your team win, right? And you want to be successful there. And, you know, I'm sure there were times he looked up and saw that 480 earn run average. Was like, man, but he attacked hitters the same way. He did the same thing. And and the and the sort of secondary numbers, you know, the strikeout rate and the walk rate, all were all really, really good. So the Rockies were really pleased that he, you know, and that's where he's pitched the most so far in his in his minor league career, that he kind of stayed who he was and knew that that's going to work once he gets to the to the upper level. So we'll, we'll see. Uh, we'll see what happens. All right. Let's finish up like we always do with our mailbag. And this one comes from Eric, who actually sent this to me via Instagram because he told me that he is not on Twitter, but he wants him. Yeah, and uh, right, and he's, uh, and, but he is a a a fan of the podcast and uh, wanted to get a question in, and he's a Pirates fan, so you know I figured I'll play the homer and uh, ask it, but it's a good question, and we've gotten questions like this, so here we go from Eric. I'm a Pirates fan, and I'm looking for some hope because we can't screw this pick up. This is a two parter. With there not being a consensus first pick like a Rushman Torkelson type, it's like he knew what we were going to talk about this week. Does that mean none of the top five, six group are at their level or are they all at that level? And I know you guys have said the two to four rounder group is real deep, but do you have any names for us pirate fans to look out for at our number 37 pick? You want to tackle that first, Jim? Sure. Um, you know, yeah, none of these guys are at the, the Rushman Torkelson Slam dunk, obvious, number one, 
overall guys. So like it's you know, but that said, I mean there's talented guys. It's it's not like a year where there, there's nobody worthy of the pick, but you just don't have that consensus guy. And and I do think, I, I really do feel like the group is eight guys. It's the four high school shortstops. It's the two Vanderbilt pitchers. It's, it's Henry Davis, the catcher at Louisville, and, and I'll even throw Jackson Job, Oklahoma State or the Oklahoma high school right-handed pitcher is what I was trying to say, um, are, are in that group. And, you know, I, I think we touched on this before, Jonathan, but my sense is I think they're going to take a position player as far as we can tell right now. And I think it might come down to, you know, they'll narrow that down to a group of, you know, whatever, two, three, four guys who are all similar. And it very well could be that the tiebreaker is who will take the, the best deal. And then that would save money for the second pick. Is that, I mean, that seems like we keep hearing that week after week at this point. I, I think so, you know, and I and I do think that you know, right now they're in that like we're looking at all options, and I, I really believe that they've not, you know, there are times where we hear that and we're like, please, you're like we know you're going to take Adley Rushman, or you know, you you know, even with Bobby Witt Jr. I mean, we're there. not saying they're going to take uh, Adrian Del Castillo at number one for four million dollars. <laughs> it's not going to be something crazy right, like right, that. Right, right, right. No, they're going to pick from one of those guys, and you know, and, and and so they don't need to have a consensus yet. But if they don't get to a point where, like, this is the guy we want, slam dunk, and none of them are going to be slam dunk, but let's say they come to an agreement like, you know what, Marcella Myers, our guy, and, and that could be, you know, or Jack Leiter's our guy, any of the guys, they then can go to all those players, as you said, and say, you know, if all things being equal, or we don't have, uh, you know, consensus in the room, or even the decision makers aren't, you know, aren't 100% convinced, then they can they can go that route, still get one of the top five players in in the in the class, and you know, and then be more aggressive with that number thirty seven pick. I think you know, as we've pointed out, you know, from for the most part, you know, teams have saved money with that number one pick and could do that anyway. They don't have uh, a comp pick this year, so it's not quite as large of a pool, but they do have the ability you know, to, to be aggressive. So if they save some more money, that opens the door for some more interesting guys with that second round pick. And I have a, another question that I may answer for, for, for inbox, Jim, that I shared with you about, you know, uh, you know, who, who are those, those guys that might cost a little more money. And someone had responded with, you know, there, I think there are a couple ways you can go, right. There are the, the toolsy high school outfielders, you know, who's, you know, the performances have sort of forced them out of the first round. But if you really think the tools are going to play, so there's, you know, Lonnie White, who has a chance to play football at Penn State. There's James Wood uh, in in Florida. Uh, Someone else on Twitter had replied with those two options. I think those are possibilities. There are always going to be some high school pitchers, I think, uh, that come into play who could have been, you know, know, maybe they're first rounders, but maybe they, you know, don't get there and then signability becomes a, a question. Does Chase Petty, you know, figure into uh, you know, into a conversation like that, you know, as just a guy that we've talked a lot about at the back end of the first round, but not sure where he fits. And then I'm going to throw one more possibility out just because it would be fun. And I think he might fit there, but currently David Bednar is, re- is, is relieving and doing a very nice job in the Pirates big league bullpen. The Bednars are from Pittsburgh. Will Bednar's had, you know, a pretty solid year. I know you had him in your in your mock last week, but he could be around for pick number 37, don't you think? 
He could. I, I, if I had to guess today, I think he goes ahead of that. Probably. You know, the, it's, the tricky thing with this is, and I do think it, it makes sense. If you, if you have, say, two or three options and you think they're equal in terms of talent value, you should go for the guy who, who, who can make the best deal and, and then save money to spend later. The Pirates do have the largest bonus pool. I think I've told you, Jonathan, my, my son did a, a master's thesis, thesis, can't say that, on the economics of the draft. He wasn't necessarily talking about the number one overall pick, but he, he ran a bunch of simulations. And he thinks the best draft strategy is to, with your first two picks, save money without sacrificing talent, which is a, a difficult needle to thread, and then yep. go nuts after that. So he he would advise me if he was listening to me right now that that's the way the Pirates should do it. The tricky part of it is you can't guarantee who gets to 37. Now, you know, you, you, can, you could try, but for instance, the Reds, now the Reds don't pick till 17, but they pick 30 and they pick 35 and they have the fourth highest bonus pool. So they're going to get three cracks at a high-priced guy if, if the Pirates are hoping somebody falls to them. The, the Tigers have the third overall pick and they also pick 32 and 39. So they have a big bonus pool yeah. and they're going to get another crack at a guy before the Pirates will. So, I mean, I'm sure you, you, we, we've heard a bunch of times from a bunch of people the last year when the Orioles took Heston Kerstad at number two, other teams felt like the guy they wanted that they were targeting to get to them with their next pick was Nick Bitsko, the, the high school right-handed pitcher. And he didn't get there because the Rays took him. So, like you know, and, and Pirates fans don't don't get scared. But I'm going to go back in time, Jonathan. You remember oh, Pirates took Tony Sanchez. Oh, I knew that was coming. And you know, they, and you remember <laughs> they were going to save the money not in the draft, but in their overall amateur acquisition budget. And we're going to go get Miguel Sano. Well, they didn't get Miguel Sano, and they got Tony Sanchez, <laughs> and and that didn't work out too well. The number four overall pick. So I'm all I'm for. If you let's let's say you think I'm just Marcelo Meyer, Henry Davis, Jordan Lawler, Khalil Watson. Let's say you think those guys are all just just too close to call. Then I'm all for taking the discount. But like being able to target, okay, this guy's going to get to us at 37. That part of it's really really hard to do. Right, and to be fair, they the question was framed: who might be around, not who yeah. you know who would they try to get to them. So yeah, so. but I mean, I guess I was looking at it if they if they took the discount, like who, who might right. they make make fall. But like, um, you know, it, it'll be like like the guys who will be over slot. I, I definitely agree on the high school pitchers because especially the high school righties don't go in the first round. The other interesting aspect of it too is is if you get a guy who's going to go in the twenties, and I'm just going to pick this guy because he fascinates me. Peyton Stovall, the high school kid, is one of the best bats in the draft, and there's first round interest in him. However, for the like, let's say Peyton Stovall is going to go in the 20s. Well, the Pirates are in position at 37 with their large bonus pool to pay more money to Peyton Stovall or somebody else in that similar range than any of those teams picking in the 20s. So if they, if you get a guy like that that they like, and again, I don't know that's Peyton Stovall. They can tell Peyton Stovall's agent, look, if you can get Peyton to number 37, we'll give him $4 million. And then all of a sudden, you know, the team's picking the 20s that have bonus slots of two and a half to three million. Get priced out. You, you could price him out. You know, and again, yeah. it gets tricky because you got the Reds in the sandwich round and you have the Tigers in the sandwich round who could also pay a guy like that $4 million. But if you have, again, two or three guys like that, 
you know, then you can kind of manipulate. It's just, it's another one of these things, Jonathan, that's so weird with the draft being in July is that we're not even at the signability stage to really know who's asking for what and who might be able to manipulate, you know, which pool it's still, I think we're a couple of weeks away from being at that point. No, I think that's right. And and last word for me on this is I think that the pirates could still do that. Even, even if they have targeted a guy and if they don't get them, use the Nick Bitsko, it still may be the right strategy to, to take if they don't feel one of those guys at the top is the guy and they save a little more money. And then you can always, you can sprinkle it around. It doesn't have to be that pick at 37. You might be able to get two, guys in the second and third round uh you know or have some money left over in that 11th round which has become like a a a popular spot to to be able to nab a guy that you thought was previously unsignable so uh, we'll have to wait and see how that plays out but a lot of options for the pirates to consider all right that's a wrap for this week's mlb pipeline podcast don't forget subscribe on apple Podcasts, spotify or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss a single episode If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. If you don't, we don't want to hear from you. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. Usually we just brush it off or blame ourselves, saying things like, I lost my mojo. Or we avoid it altogether with excuses like, I had a long day at work, or sorry, honey, I'm just not feeling it. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about. With a real healthcare professional who can prescribe real medication, it's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. The healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com slash MLB and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a healthcare professional and take care of it. Go to GetRoman.com slash MLB today. If approved, you'll get $15 off your first order of ED treatment. Roman is the official partner of Major League Baseball. That's GetRoman.com slash MLB. GetRoman.com slash MLB. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.